Yui, Wellington, Standard Year 10,082 to 10,191, Medical Doctor of the Souk School, Graduated, Standard Year 10,112, Married, Juana Marcus, B'nai Jesuit, Standard Year 10,092 to 10,186, Chiefly noted as the betrayer of Duke Guido Atreides. Bibliography, Appendix 7, Imperial Conditioning and Betrayal, The. From Dictionary of Muhadib by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And I'm Evan Diaz. And together, we're going to read some Dune. Yeah, we are. Yes, we are. But right. um, one thing we're not going to do, Caleb, is end the podcast with catch you on the flip side again, because that was awkward. I didn't like Ooh. that at all. <laughs> you're right. I'm slightly embarrassed. And if you're watching on YouTube, about three shades redder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He just turned to the same color as the brick wall behind him. Oh um, man! But maybe we just maybe we just try out some random outro lines until we find one that sticks. Yeah, let's try some now. Yeah. All right. Um, so one, okay. two, three. Uh, bye, bye, baby doll. No, that's that's, a, ter- no, that's terrible. That's also that's really, really bad. bad. Um, how about one, two, three? Dune you later. <laughs> Dune you later. <laughs> okay. I don't this is, know. No, this isn't going anywhere fast. Let's, get, Let's just get back to the book. All right, back to back to the good stuff. <laughs> so, what did you get from this quote? I feel like this is a like a the log right in the dictionary of the Muhadib. Right. What did you kind of pull from this? Um, the main thing that I got was um that Dr. Yue is chiefly noted as betrayer of Duke Leto Atreides, um, which I'm assuming is going to play a huge part because of how the rest of the chapter went. Um, But also I got this strange notion that if I do a lot of math and figure out all these years, (laughs) I can know a little bit about what's, what's uh, about to happen what uh you know like all, all, all there's there are mysteries in these numbers that honestly i don't like math enough to go into <laughs> the math and figure all that stuff out so um that's what i got out of the quote you're accurate yeah that that's accurate right right it says Juana marcus bg which is benay jeseret um her death date is 10186 question mark is that the day she died? We really don't know. I didn't even see the question mark. Woo! Yeah, it's that's it's crazy. Dead. And we know that the current year is ten thousand one hundred ninety-one. So this is the year that Yui dies. So that's uh, we know that's going to happen. Sorry, I stood up for our YouTube uh, viewers. My baby was crying, so I had to close the door. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) 
there's somebody else with the baby. I, I assume yes. she's not just downstairs by herself. No, she's just in the living room by herself. <laughs> one year old. <laughs> no, she needs she needs some adult friends. She needs guides. Yeah, she needs guides. <laughs> there's a couple. There's a couple of third year old dudes hanging out downstairs. No, okay. Let's see. let's get back to the book again. All right, God. back to the book. All right. So. That's what we know from this, right? He's chiefly noted as betrayer of Duke Leto Atreides. That is like his title after death. He is known as the betrayer. Yeah. So we're going to like kind of examine, does he think he's the betrayer? Like what is happening in this? Hmm. Does, does he quite know? He has, he has an idea of what's about to happen. Right. So Wait, it, how do you, how do you know it's what year it is? I don't remember seeing a year. Uh, in the very beginning, it's like the first quote in the book. It says what the year is. Nuh-uh. Not that any of those numbers meant anything to us back then, but I mean, I think I talked about like how time worked and before Guild and after Guild, and it's very confusing at the beginning. There's a lot to get through. Right. (laughs) All right, so our setting is we're still here on Caladan. Um. After his training with Thufur and Gurney. So it's you know, Dr. Yui enters the room and Paul is stretched out face down on an exercise table with the masseuse. He's getting a massage. Cool. Right. He was feeling deliciously relaxed. Deliciously. After the workout with Gurney Halleck. I mean, I'm on. We all want to get there one day. Deliciously relaxed. <laughs> You do look comfortable, said Yui in his calm, high-pitched voice. Paul raised his head, saw the man's stick figure standing several paces away, took in at glance the wrinkled black clothing, the square block of a head with purple lips and a drooping mustache and a diamond tattoo of imperial conditioning on his forehead, the long black hair caught in a souk school's silver ring and at his left shoulder. So we got purple lips, drooping mustache, diamond tattoo. Right. Okay. Here's another weird uh, picturing that happened in my head. Um, I read the phrase where it says in his calm, high-pitched voice, but I still pictured him as... um, Who's the guy? The guy that plays Sulu in the old uh, Star Trek movies oh yes oh come on my nerd all of our nerd fandom here is freaking out it's um now i gotta google it it's gonna yeah. drive me crazy he's famous on the internet uh takai george takai george takai yeah george takai yeah i didn't look yes. that up folks that was all deep inside <laughs> my brain that's who i pictured uh as this my man men, my mentat processing was going crazy and i found that one out yeah. So for the audience who is keeping up with how I'm picturing all of these characters, that's how that's who I pictured Dr. Yui is. I love it. I think it's pretty good. It's a great casting call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Dr. Yui is from the Souk school, right? He is their doctor for the Atreides. So uh-huh. let's just, I just want to get into what the Souk school is. Okay. All, again, you have all houses and mentats and many Jesuits and all these things have big backgrounds. So the Souk school and the imperial conditioning um, 
what those are. So after a assassin attack on one of the kings or the emperors, they decided to form this school that would have a conditioning not to hurt the people they serve. Okay. So they have this imperial conditioning. So from the ages like they're from when they start the school to like 12, they're like conditioned kind of like the banana Jesuit are kind of to delay gratification. So they won't be tempted or swayed anyway. And then they start their medical training after that. Um, in the Dune Encyclopedia, it says that the imperial conditioning, which well, also saying that um, they are to like almost praise the people that they um, work for or worship, like they adore these people. They're, Interesting. They're, they look up to them in a certain way. So another like uh, layer of like I will not hurt this person. Right. So there's a lot that. Yui has to undergo to switch on his imperial conditioning. Gotcha. Um, fun fact, in the Dune Encyclopedia, the imperial conditioning never actually worked. Like, there was no proof that this, it could stop anybody, and Yui kind of showed that. It's just, uh, oh. no one no one betrayed anybody for a thousand years. So, <laughs> so they uh, did it. Wow. That's crazy. At least in the medical range. Right. So the tattoo, once you get past um, the imperial conditioning, it says, I will, it's their four points of the diamond represent the four tenets of the soup school of medicine, which I will practice healing. I will prolong life. I will seek knowledge and I will give loyalty. So it's kind of like their thing. Hmm. And um, each of these had like a imprinted biological little thing in them so that nobody could counterfeit them. Gotcha. Because, which is important because um, a race of people, you, um, I guess they're humans, they would, they, they can, like the Bene Gesserit, can replicate things with their voice or make their voice do certain things or they can move or like work through their own body and genetic code to not become pregnant or to do all these things, right? There's another you think yeah, I'm doing dance and they're <laughs> they can like you know do the thing with their with their with their mind and their body, you know. <laughs> well, there are these race of people that are called face dancers, which can um transform like a shape shift into anybody and they can like mask themselves as that person. So yes. the the diamond there was a to make sure that you don't have a face dancer in your presence. Gotcha. It's like they can okay. scan it and be like, okay, no, no, you're a real person. You're not a human pretending not to pretending to be you. So yes, face dancers, they will come up later in this chapter. Okay. It's really sad. We'll keep going. Um, so then he talks to Paul and they kind of want to go over some last lessons before they go to Arrakis. Of course, Yui would be the guy to be like, do your homework. Right. <laughs> Which I mean, they, they, he's he's praised as being really smart, having a good heart, but he still ends up betraying everybody. So, hmm. Hmm. yeah. And you've seen here in Yui's thoughts where it's like, he was thinking, oh, how this boy has filled out in these past few months. Such a waste. Such a sad waste. He reminded himself, I must not falter. What I do is to be done a certain Maiwana no longer can be hurt by the Horkonan beasts. Right? So he's thinking like, Oh man, this would have been a lot of fun. And this guy, like, 
Paul's going to be great. It's going to suck. He's going to have to die. Right. But does that line imply that he knows that she's actually alive? That's his... So that's the thing we don't know. We don't know okay. what he's thinking at the moment. We just know that okay. he's, he's, he's doing this so Wana can no longer be hurt by the Harkonnens. I don't know if, what he means by that. Hmm. We'll get to that. Oh, yeah, we'll move on there. So first, what are they studying? It's uh, studying the tyrannic life of Arrakis. The planet seems to have opened its arms to certain tyrannic life forms. It's not clear how. I must seek out how the planetary ecologists when we arrive. Dr. Kynes, and offer my help in the investigation. Then Yui thought, what am I saying? I play the hypocrite even with myself. Just whining over here. But I really he's think so he's so emo. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> he's, he's caught in something. So they're, again, they're talking about mm. sandworms here. Because sandworms are like the life form on the planet. And, right. you know, if Dr. Yui wasn't going to betray everybody. I'm sure he would want to <laughs> seek out Dr. Kynes to like, hey, let's learn more about the planet. Because he's probably right. a giant nerd like that being a doctor. And that's the first time we hear about the planetary ecologist, Dr. Kynes, and he'll, he'll pop back up too. Which is good. We're just foreshadowing a bunch here. What's going to happen? Yeah. He, so uh, Paul, Paul is saying like, he wants to talk about the Fremen. Like he's really interested in the Fremen specifically. Right? Yes. So, yeah, Paul's obsessed with knowing about the Fremen. He's got this thing in him, and he wants to know more and more about them. Hmm. Um, and so, Yui, like, when he uh, Paul asks, "Hey, do you have pictures of them?" They talk, and um, Yui says, "I'll see what I can get you." But the most interesting, interesting feature, of course, is their eyes, totally blue, no whites in them. So we can like think back to Paul's vision where he saw the person with all blue eyes. Right. And we've been talking about the all blue eyes for the past few chapters. Like it's come up several times. Right. So Paul wants to say, is it a mutation? No, it's linked to the saturation of the blood with the melange, with the spice. Okay. That's what melange is? Yeah, the spice melange. Okay. And then Paul's like sidetracked next thing, like the Fremen must be brave to live out on the edge of the desert. So he's like, they're denoting there's two different types of Fremen. There's then the city folk. And then there is the like deep Fremen who live in the desert. Right. So uh, yeah, Yui says polish comes from the city, but wisdom comes from the desert. Yeah, that was a, I don't know. That was a really cool, cool phrase. Good juice, if you will, mm. that I got something out of. But it's yeah. cool, you know? Polish comes from the cities, wisdom from the desert. Something about that. We could talk about that for a while, but we're not going to. We're going to keep talking about Dune. No, no I'm interested about what you think about what, the, what does the wisdom from the desert mean <clears throat> for you? Well, I, I mean, there's just something about, um, I guess we are going to talk about it. Spring uh, that creates like the experiencing suffering gives you that bigger and better understanding of life and just the, the, the deeper things in life. I don't, I don't know if I'm making any sense at all, but um, there's this band that I listen to and they have a lyric that's, I think we're all lost till we've walked in the wilderness. And it's like, 
you don't really know what you're doing or what's going on in life until you've experienced some kind of like desolation and suffering. Um, and there's, there's something cool about that. Um, you know, wisdom coming from the desert and polish comes from the cities is like, I don't know. It, it seems kind of vain, but it, it also could be a good thing. You know, if you have both wisdom and polish, you can do a whole lot. Um, so like, I don't know if it's supposed to be a good thing, but I could see it being a good thing, you know, like being well, polished, being kind of, to, to be political, you definitely, definitely have to be polished. Right. And I think it's, yeah, one of the things you need to kind of rule. And I think Paul is seeing that like in the, with the Fremen, I'm going to need, I'm going to need every facet of their society. You know, if I'm, if we're going to survive. Right. And, and that was what the Reverend mother, I think was talking to him about, you know, becoming the leader that he needs to become. It's going to take both wisdom and polish. And it sounds like he has polish out the wazoo. Like he's just been, that's you know, that's like, always known. Right. Exactly. So he needs to get, you know, hardened a little bit by Arrakis so that he can have a good balance of, of both and maybe get through whatever is about to happen. You know? I mean, yeah, that that's what we're setting up as the best bet for him. So mm. I think it might happen, but that's spoilers. I don't want to say anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Again, listeners, I have no idea what's about to happen in this book. I have zero context. Literally, all I knew was that there was sand and sandworms. That's it. So, Caleb is trying really hard not to spoil things for me here. There's so many things. But I'm glad we can kind of walk through this. I wish somebody could walk me through all this. this is, so, yeah, this is nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, the next thing to talk about, yeah, I guess here's the worms. And they right. say, you know, yeah, I have a film book on the specimen, only 110 meters long and 22 meters in diameter. Yeah, that's that was him saying, uh, a, he said a small specimen. I have a film book on a small specimen, only 110 meters long, which is hella long, fam. Like, that's really big, dude. <laughs> that's a small one. Right. And it said, for so, here. It said yeah, go worm, ahead. worms here can be more than 400 meters in length. And there's reason. And to believe, there's reason to believe that even larger ones exist. That's crazy. Yeah. So these are these gigantic life forms on this planet. This is going to be nuts. <laughs> so yeah, there's a desert belt, Southern polar regions, which are inhabitable. Is there worms? Yes. Uninhabitable. Oh yeah. They're, uh, yeah. Okay, cool. No one's gone down there. They can't see it. And mm. then you have the storms. And then Paul says, but any place can be made habitable. And then you, it's economically feasible. Arrakis has many costly perils. Right. He's, so basically technology at this point is, has gotten to where they're like, you can make basically anything inhabitable if it's worth the money. Like if you have enough money and it's like worth doing, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. But that, that kind of puts into Paul's mind. Like he has this idea of like, no, no, like anything is possible. Um, we can make yeah. this planet habitable. So that's already just like one of his like duh moments. Like, of course we can change this. It doesn't, not, there's nothing has to be this way forever. So, I mean, yeah, I think we can kind of see the beginning of Paul's like thinkings. 
and how that will be used to his benefit. All right, so the next thing I have on the list here as we go down, yes, listeners, I make a list, um, is the Orange Catholic Bible. Yeah, what's what's that? All right, I have so, a lot of context for what like a Catholic Bible is or what a Bible is, but this seems you, different. And you probably know what an orange is. but that all that has nothing to do with what we're talking about i'm familiar with oranges (laughs) and tangerines (laughs) if you must know all right so yui gives um paul his bible his orange catholic bible yeah so it's like this printed on a filament paper and if you like touch it in a certain way it opens and there's like a magnifying glass you know super cool science fiction stuff yeah. But we're okay. What the orange, this moment is big for Paul. This kind of like he talks about moments of terrible purpose again when reading this. Like this kind of infects him. This yeah. idea of religion and using it to see the world around you. Mm-hmm. So the Orange Catholic Bible is a, was started after the guild had formed and they wanted to re make space travel a thing again between all these worlds. And so in order to kind of build on their monopoly, they decided that the time has come um, to put all of the religions kind of together. So then the B'nai Gesserit kind of led this coalition to bring all the leaders of all these religions into a room, even though they've like fought wars with each other and say, okay, where, what, what's going, what's going to happen. So they have an ecumenical council, and they had two major things that popped up. The realization that all religions had at least one common commandment, which is Yao shalt not disfigure the soul. So don't do something to make you not human. Mm. And then the commission of the ecumenical translators said, thou shalt not disfigure the soul, but who is to decide where modification ends and disfigurement begins? Jeez. Because again, they just fought this giant like artificial intelligence war, and so it's like right. where where does modification stop? Where does enhancement stop? And now you become something else, not human. Which is going to be interesting because I think at least two of the I don't, I don't want to call them alien because they're not; they're human. Their human races are no longer humanoid-ish. Like the face dancers aren't quite human; they have human DNA, but there's like another entity. Yeah, there's something else going on there. And the guild is also, when they fly these things, they have to be immersed in the spice that has evolved them in a certain way. Mm. It's gross. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's our Orange Catholic Bible. It's just the amalgamation of all these religions put together. Uh, I read in the Dune Encyclopedia that some books of the Bible made it through all the way unscathed. Uh, Job being one of them. They're like, yeah, for some reason, Job, nothing in Job changed. They're like, yeah, this is about right. <laughs> so if you know the, the story in Job and the Bible, he just suffers endlessly. Yeah, I mean, no. wisdom from the desert, right? And in the end, God says, who are you? Who do you think you are? And Job's like, yep, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I thought it was like, that was an interesting little tidbit there, Frank, to put in the encyclopedia. Oh, yeah, right. okay. I mean, it makes sense. Um, <laughs> some weird stuff happens with Yui and uh, this Bible, though, right? Like, while when he gives it to Paul and... Yeah. So it's got these, like, again, it's still, there's these two markers on it. 
And so he he hits the first marker. And you have that that quote pulled up right there of what what he reads. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. Do 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 do. Yui mm. <laughs> says, "Indulge an old man's whim." Yui says, "It's given to me when I was very young." And he thought, "I must catch his mind as well as his cupidity." I don't ah, know what cupidity okay. is. Right. Then, so, <clears throat> um, do you want me to read like the quote that he yeah, that he reads he, out loud? Yeah. Okay. Um, so Paul felt the cover. He found two notches and one was shallower than the other. So he pressed the shallower one and it opened up and he's, Yui tells him to read it out loud. And he says, um, think you of the fact that a deaf person cannot hear, then what deafness may we not all possess? What senses do we lack that we cannot see and cannot hear another world all around us? what is there around us that we cannot stop it? Yui barked. Like he's like, he proper freaks out. And he's been pretty calm this whole time. This is his first big, like freak out moment. Right. Yeah. And then Yui closed his eyes, fought to regain composure. What perversity caused the book to open up at my Juana's favorite passage. He opened his eyes, saw Paul staring at him. Is something wrong? Paul asked. So, yeah, there's the, the quote here. The, think you of the fact that a deaf person cannot hear, then what deafness we, may we not all possess? So there's this idea that there, in a little bit, we are unaware. And what would happen if we were to be aware? Right. What like might what's, be, what might what's be going possessed? on out there that we just can't? sense that we can't see taste touch here that's cool yeah. what's the what's the next thing hmm. and if those of you who are reading the book right now or have already read the book are freaking out about this i'm trying to keep my composure and not say anything because evan's not reading it okay i'm not we'll ready continue. i have no idea i have no, no idea clue. yeah um i like highlight things specifically because they will be like big points later on just for you all right I'm going to highlight that part because now I know that it's something, <laughs> something important. So, and if cool. you all don't know what I'm talking about, we'll keep following along. And we'll get there eventually. Yui says, I'm sorry. That was my dead wife's favorite passage. It's not the one I intended you to read. It brings up memories that are painful. Um, so yeah, then Yui says, yeah, you may find this interesting got a good historical truth as well as ethical philosophy. Paul looked down at the tiny book in his palm. Such a small thing, yet it contained a mystery. Something that happened when he read it. He felt something stir in his terrible purpose. So I want to go, there's, there's one like really big deep dive right before we finish that I want to kind of talk about. Okay. And we, so you were, you're seeing from the Right now, there, there's Juana, his dead wife, and Yui, and that's kind of the reason. And he wants to save her from the Harkonnens, right? And that's why he has been selected, maybe, to do this betrayal. Like, so my question is, mm. why? Why did Piter choose Yui for this? So the twisted mentat has his has his devious ways. So right. we're going to look back into. 
his wife was B'nai Jesuit, um, and she was a royal B'nai Jesuit. So we're going to see the comparison between, say, Jessica and Juana, who have done two different things. They're both like kind of married. But when the B'nai Jesuit send Juana to a mission to Giddy Prime to the Harkonnens, she goes because that's her duty to the B'nai Jesuit. And it's kind of well known. If you go to Giddy Prime, odds are there you don't come back. Yes. So, she, so she was missing for three years. And then they finally like accepted that she had passed away. They held a funeral on Caladan and a life kind of moved on. And with the Imperial conditioning, it's known that with the Souk doctors, they can kind of deteriorate towards the end of their life. Like they kind of go kind of crazy. Huh. Um, and one of the kind of things that is a tell is that depression starts to like sink on them. Yeah. And losing your wife would kind of put you in a depressed mood. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit, kind of hardcore. And so I think that's where Piter saw his moment to like, like get a hook in. Right. So four months before this moment here, the records in the Dune Encyclopedia say that um, Yui had left the castle and went into the villages and a ship came down from the guild holding Harkonnen men and a Bene Gesserit woman. Mm-hmm. So the speculation is, is that Yui saw Juana that day and said, oh my gosh, you're alive. And that's when the deal was struck. Gotcha. When this trade happens, you will do this for us and we will give you your wife back. Jeez. Now, there are, but other reports say that the classification of B'nai Jesuit is wrong and it was actually a face dancer. Oh. Yeah, so it's somebody who thinks it's his wife. And right, so you've got this guy deteriorating and it's only going downhill from there. So Right. And there's like no way to know who to trust and what is real and what's not with all these people with like crazy powers and stuff. This like there's no way of knowing what's real. Yes. And so he's so that there's the history gives there's three possible reasons of why Yui did this. So the first one is madness, right? He was so depressed. And he wanted to soothe his soul. Is Juana dead or is she not? I don't know. And the only way I'll finally be able to rest is if I do this. And if she's dead, she's dead and I'll be fine. If she's right. alive, then I'll have her. I, but I need to know for certain, is she dead or is she alive? That's fair. Right? The second one is incompetence. He's a fool. And he doesn't want anything to happen to Juana. So, of course, he just rushes after her. Yeah. And the third one is love. So did his, it is love for Juana versus his love for the Duke. So mm. he's not acting straight as a fool or straight as a madman. He loves both his Duke and both his wife, but he only has to pick one in this fiasco. And he figures Duke is probably already dead in this mm. scenario. I might as well choose my wife and try to see if I can get some end of out of this. Jeez. Yeah, man, it's it's rough. Um, 
but Yui is definitely our our Judas character. Right. Definitely after the fact labeled a betrayer. He is the betrayer. Everyone look for what he's going to do. Um, and you kind of almost going to need that character in this story. You need that. You need that. Like I need to place the blame on this guy. Right. Yeah. Even though like there, you could speculate forever on why he did whatever he does, you know, um, which is like the same thing with Judas. Like people have been for literally thousands of years trying to figure out why did he do that? Like, what was it? This was it? That was people are like, he was possessed by a demon. He was, you know, like there's all these different uh, explanations as to why Judas did what he did. And so like, I guess it's the same thing here. Like people are just going to be speculating forever as to why he did what he did. And yeah, we'll never really know, which is kind of, but Frank Herbert gives like the insight into his head. Right. Um, but yeah, we don't really, why, why did he do what he did? He seems like a nice guy, but we'll see what happens. We'll see how this thing plays out. Peter's plan is definitely in motion and has been in motion for a while. Yeah. With this happening four months before, you know, seeing his face dance her wife. There's no way she's really alive. Like the Harkonnens would have killed her right off, set up this big plan, mess with his head. Right. Um, is there anything else you want to add before I end this with this last little quote? Yes. Um, what I was what I was thinking about this whole time during this chapter is like the other chapters with Paul, he was kind of two steps ahead of everybody as they were talking to him. You know, like he his his training that he got from his from his mother was kind of like he could sense this in their voice. He could see that when they said that they meant this or they wanted him to feel X, Y, Z, that kind of thing. Um, but in this chapter, it's all uh, Yui's thoughts. So we don't get any understanding of like what Paul is, what like vibe Paul is catching from Yui in this whole situation, which is probably a lot because he's being like real squirrely and he like screams at his wife's, you know, Bible verse and, there's like weird stuff going on and he doesn't seem to be a very subtle person. So um, I'm just wondering like, what's Paul thinking during all of this? You know what I mean? Right. Has he picked up on the shadiness that's happening? Right. right. Cause he's, he's super smart. Paul is super smart and he's like able to see behind the curtain when people are talking to him. So he's, is he just like sitting there like, this dude is about to murder us. Like he's about to do some crazy stuff. Obviously he's being super sketchy, you know, like. He handed know, me his like most valuable possession and said, right. take care. It's All weird. right. Weird vibes. And Paul's too smart not to catch on to the weird vibes, I think. Yeah. I, I think we should see if Jessica and Paul catch what's going on. I mean, and then like Thufer's looking for the betrayer. He's looking for traps constantly. What's going to be the... Right. Who's going to be the, the the bad guy? Right. Yeah, luckily we have the quotes to tell us right off the bat who's the betrayer, so good for us. Right. <laughs> Which is almost worse than 
<laughs> you know, like knowing what's going to happen. Anyway. So yeah, it's the last, last thought you want to read. You want to read his last thought here? Yeah. And he thought, why do I stand here torturing myself and torturing this poor lad, though he doesn't know it? Uh, I, don't, I don't know how to make that sound. Oy. Yeah, I got you. You got it. Oi. Oi. Kind of like Jewish. Jewish yeah, yeah. Oi. Um, damn those Harkonnen beasts. Why did they choose me for their abomination? Abomination. Yeah, why did they? Why did they choose you, Yui? Probably because you were the easiest, right? And you, but abomination—that makes it. Yeah, he's not. He's not going to be happy with what's about to happen. Yikes! Okay. But Yui, but Yui, like everyone else, has a plan. Yeah, a plan within plans. That. We're about to see what's going to happen. Well, fellow Dune readers, if you want to hit us up on Twitter, we're just at that reading Dune. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. I think we have like one person following us besides myself. And very I'm excited cool. about that. Thank you is very it, much. Is it me or is it? <laughs> I don't even think you follow us. <laughs> I, I'll have to remedy that. I'm I'm so sorry. I'm not pulling my weight around here. It's okay. It's all good. We got one subscriber on YouTube. We are also on YouTube, just reading Dune, where you can nice. watch our silliness um, as well as listen to it. That's, yeah. no, that, that's how videos work. Um, and yes, we will. I need, oh no, we're back to that part again. How do I? Um, we will uh, read you later. <laughs> bless you and bless the maker. All right, there we go. You don't know what that means yet, but we're going to get there. All right. Let's That's get the maker there. and his coming and his goings and your comings and your goings. All right. That didn't work either. I'm going to no. end this. We'll figure it out, man. Don't worry about it. Ah, Just day. say bye. Bye. <laughs>